Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are trying to pick up where we left off in May. You remember what we preached about in May, right? <clears throat> we were in Romans in May, and we're back in Romans. Now, the interesting thing is, is we broke at the wrong time, really. We have uh, one more Sunday to deal with condemnation. And from some sovereign reason, God wanted us to delay that until September. So, that's why we are looking at Romans chapter 3 and the last part of our condemnations paragraph, or actually it's more than that, three chapters in Romans. We are now getting ready to cover that before we go on talking about the solution to our problem of being condemned. Uh, what we've been covering since verse 15 in verse, chapter 1 is that all of us are conscious of sin. Uh, we all have a verdict coming against us from God if we do not repent. This passage that we're looking at today, the two verses we're looking at today, talk about a moral person who thinks he does good and thinks that he can please God with the number of things that he does good. Uh, we'll take uh, these last two verses and brings us to the conclusion of the first three chapters. In all the 27 Sundays we've been talking about Romans so far, it has been condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. Sometimes it gets hard to hear condemnation so much. And you need to understand it's necessary. Because without condemnation, we do not have grace. We do not have redemption. We do not have justification. We do have, have sanctification without understanding condemnation. Well, we got one more Sunday to talk about condemnation. I used to witness to people, and they used to say, many of them, that I'm a good person, that I do more good things than bad, so that when I get to heaven, God will ask me what good things I've done, and I'll give him a list of all the good things I've done, and then God will let me into heaven. I think it's changed. I think now when we witness to people, they say, is there anything good? What's good for you may be good for me or bad for me or good for you and bad for me or bad for you and good for me or whatever. They come up with some different definition of what good is if there is anything good at all. I think people are getting more and more confused about what evil is, what sin is. And by getting more confused about what condemnation there is, they get more and more confused about what the gospel is. So, 
We're going to try to spend one more Sunday talking about the gospel. It seems like our culture is trying to do what the group LLLL is trying to promote. LLLL is less lawlessness through less laws. Their uh, spokesman said, quote, hiring more policemen, imposing curfews, building new prisons, enlarging the judge's court system, these measures only treat the symptoms of the crime wave. He said then, to our crime wave, people in our culture is, he said, quote, if we're ever going to have a genuine improvement in the situation, we got to attack the root cause of crime. The laws. Get rid of all the laws and you'll have no crime. Oh, come on. You gotta like that. A lot of people live that way in their relationship with God. That God will still love me because I do more good things that I think is good than bad, which I think are bad. So he'll let me into his heaven. <sighs> well, first thing, i got to remind you what we talked about in May, because I'm not sure you remember. There you go. In May, we talked about a courtroom. We talked about it for two weeks. A courtroom, a heavenly courtroom. What would a heavenly courtroom find against the world? We said that their sinful actions and sin nature are in a state of being that is contrary to the actions and nature of God. We said this was the definition of sin. We said this is what sin is, a state of being contrary to the nature of God. And that was good. I wrote it on your insert so you'd remember what we talked about in May. Then we went to a different question. And this is where we're going to begin our sermon today. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. What is the accusation that a holy and righteous God would accuse the world of in a heavenly courtroom? What would God accuse us of? God will accuse us of, number one, your sinful actions and sin nature would accuse people of being under the power of the law. The first thing you're going to be accused of is being under the power of the law. Now we have to understand what the law does to us. In this passage, when it talks about the law, in the context of chapter 3, it seems like the law refers to all the things in the Old Testament. The things in the first five books, the things in the books of the, the poetry books, things in the books of the prophets. It seems like it's talking about the whole Old Testament. Whole Old Testament, what the law says, speaks to those who are under the law. 
under the law. We know, and this is an interesting word, we know, we admit, we have common knowledge, we know intellectually something about the law and being under the law, that whatever the law says, the whole Old Testament, whatever it says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Now, in this verse, it seems to talk about all the Jews and the Gentiles having some form of law that governs them. Specifically, it seems to talk about the Old Testament law, which seems to apply to the Jewish people of that day. That had the Old Testament, learned the Old Testament, every Saturday went and learned the Old Testament, and knew the law, what God required. And the problem was, they couldn't obey it. They couldn't obey it. So that every time they heard more about the law, they learned more about sin and how to oppose or disobey the law. Being under the law is the opposite of being under grace. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 12. A couple pages back. Romans 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Talking about the Gentiles. Talking about a person who's never come to church, never heard the Bible, doesn't study the Bible, doesn't know what the Bible says. That person will perish without the law because why? Because he sins. He does not keep the law. And all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In other words, they will be proven point by point that they did not keep what the Bible says that they're supposed to keep, and they'll be condemned. The law reveals that a sinner cannot live up to the holy standards of the law. The Jews of that day knew the law, did not obey the law, and were in the same situation that the Gentiles were in, which is condemnation. Doesn't matter. Condemnation. In the Old Testament, it seems like there are three types of law that we see. I'll just cover this quickly. The first is the moral law. Character and justice of God. God's coming. Now, the Israelites of that day believed that there are 613 commands that God gave in the Old Testament. Now, if you think there are 614, that's okay. You believe that. But whatever your count is, there are a number of commands in the Old Testament that fall under God's moral commands that he wants people to do. In the Old Testament, there are also civil laws. Civil laws, how to run the nation of Israel. Now, we are not Israelis, so we don't follow those laws. I'm not sure the nation of Israel does today. Ceremonial laws how the nations to deal with their sinfulness and how they're to cleanse themselves in the sight of God from their sins. And we know from the ceremonial laws that they didn't follow those very well and broke those commands. So through all these laws, whatever law it's talking about, probably talking about all three of them, the Old Testament is built on law. And those laws are rules for us to, let's say, hey, 
Let's make up laws. Let's go, Cumberland Bible Church is going to have laws. Okay? Let's say every Sunday, uh, the men are to come with blue shirts and doctors and a good tie that goes with the shirt. That's the law. Okay? Every Sunday, every man has to show up in uh, doctors, long sleeve shirt, well, you can be a short sleeve, blue shirt, let's make a good tie to go with that shirt. And let's say we make a uh, law that says the women have to come in shorts to church and sandals and a nice blouse. Let's make that the rule. Let's make the rule that everybody has to come to Cumberland Bible Church and bring the living translation of the Bible. The green cover Bible. Remember that one? Let's say that's the Bible you got to read. Let's say uh, when you come through the back door, you have to spin around three times before you can come in. I like it. Oh, I think I think it'll grow. We'll have more people come. Whatever laws you think you'll make that you think in your head will please God, whatever they are, will lead you to more sin. No matter what. Even if you think you spin three times faster than everybody else, you will get a more prideful feeling about your efforts to spin as you come to church. And you will think you're better than everybody else. Because look at so-and-so, how slowly they spin. And you will feel much better about your spinning than theirs. <laughs> Whatever laws you try to make in your head that you think will please God does not Sinful actions, sin nature will accuse people of being under the power of the law. No matter what happens, you will do the sinful thing. You will do the sinful thing. Let's talk about evidence. Let's say what evidence would come against you in this heavenly court. What evidence would be found that could be based, be used in a heavenly courtroom? Number one. Look at the middle of verse 19. So that every mouth may be closed. So that every mouth may be closed. <clears throat> Number one, the moral sinner will not be able to defend his sin. The moral sinner will not be able to defend his sin. No matter what you do, no matter how good you spend three times coming to church, no matter how well you do it, you cannot explain away your sin before a holy and righteous God. Your mouth will be closed. So that talks about a purpose. There's a purpose that comes with the law. The law was given to the Jews so that everyone would be accountable to God. And when you stand before God, your mouth will be closed. Even if you make up laws yourself. Even if you make up laws and say this or that is good or righteous. Every mouth, every person 
every mouth will be quiet when they stand before their judge. Uh, literally, if you take that phrase, that phrase, every mouth will might be stopped. Your mouth will be stopped. On the day of judgment, no one will be talking in defense. There'll be no lawyer standing up for you. There'll be nobody defending you. You will be standing in that courtroom and you will be quiet because you will realize your sins. Only by having faith in Jesus Christ can a sinner escape from his sin and sinfulness. The mouth will be closed. Psalm 107.42 says, The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Same thing. Unrighteousness will be quiet. There will be no way to speak against the judgment that God will make. Human achievement measured against what God requires. There's no place for pride or boasting. Only silence. Only silence. So the first thing that will be held against you is you will not be able to defend your sin. You'll not be able to defend your sin. Second, look at the end of verse 19. And all the world may become accountable to God. All the world may become accountable to God. What evidence will be found that could be used in heavenly courtroom? Number two, the moral sinner will not recognize that God is the offended party and the judge. The moral sinner will not recognize that God is the offended party and the judge. In this heavenly courtroom, there will be a judge. It will be God. And there will be an accused, an attorney accusing you of sin. And that will be God. And he will accuse you and hold you accountable for every sin you do. Because... Making a law that you spend three times as you come through the door of the Church of Cumberland Bible, you are sinning against God by making it a rule. And when you make it a rule to somehow please God, you sin more. The whole world will be judged by their sin, by a judge that will not listen to their excuses. No one can be brought into a reconciled position on the basis of spinning three times at the door of a church before you come in. No one can escape being accountable to God. Every sin that's being committed in our society today will be held accountable to God. This is a Greek word that's only found here in the New Testament. It's not found in the tra Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's only found here. It's taken from Greek culture. It literally means the sinner is answerable to pay a penalty to God. The sinner is answerable to pay a penalty to God. It paints a picture of a courtroom that God is the offended party and the judge. And when you sin, you go against the judge and you offend God. It'd be like a servant who disobeys his master. 
and is called in and accountable for it. You sin against the master who will be your judge and also the offended party. A person who comes up with moral rules to live by will be judged by God because he will disobey those rules. The law shows God's requirements, displays that a person under the law cannot live up to those requirements. This one sin and you're guilty. One sin and you're guilty. Guilty is an interesting thing in the Bible. Guilt and the law. James talks about it. James chapter 2. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of, what's the verse say? All. 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 Guilt is a state of being because you broke one sin. You're guilty of all. Guilty comes from breaking the commands of God. But I didn't know it was a command. Leviticus 5 verse 17 says, If a person sins and does anything of the things which the Lord has commanded not to do, though he was unaware, still he is guilty. Still he is guilty. So you will be held accountable for every sin you committed unknowingly. Guilt comes when you sin against God. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 says, A sinful nation of people weighed down with iniquity, offsprings of evildoers, sons of who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord. Forsaking God is a sin. And all these sins, just those are just three of them, all those sins you commit against God who will be the judge and the prosecutor, the one offended, God will hold you accountable. You commit one sin, you broke them all. You, you, you forget about God, you sin. If you don't know a command and you break it, you're still guilty. You're still guilty. Sin and you breaking it go hand in hand. You sin. And that's Paul's point. He's saying the world sins. The whole world sins. The whole world's accountable to God. There's no way out. Verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. What evidence will be found that could be used in the heavenly courtroom? Number three, the moral sinner will not realize that godly actions done in the power of the flesh will not satisfy the judge. I'm sorry, that's long-winded. But each part was more important than the other part. The moral sinner will not realize that doing godly actions, if it was possible to do something perfectly correct that God says in the Old Testament, you do it in the power of your flesh, it will not satisfy the judge. So, you, uh, let's say you uh, 
yeah, there you go. Let's say you go home today and you go and you say to yourself, boy, I sure enjoy pastor's sermons. I'm going to bake him an apple pie. There you go. And you take it over to, to pastor's house and you give him an apple pie to eat. And you say, boy, that's a nice thing I do to give him an apple pie. I'm sure God is really happy with me giving my pastor an apple pie. God will love me for giving him an apple pie. Matter of fact, God will love me that he'll let me into heaven because I gave pastor an apple pie. See what's going on? But you do it in the power of the flesh. It doesn't count. You do anything nice, like an apple pie for pastor, anything nice, anything righteous, anything good, anything non-evil, and you do it in the power of the flesh, it's accounted as sin. Apple pies are good to give to pastor. Make sure I make that point. The moral sinner that does not realize godly actions are done in the power of flesh will not satisfy the judge. Because of the works of the law, anything you do based upon the law, you do that work, whatever it is, you do that work in the power of your flesh, it's not counted as righteousness. It's not counted to justify you. Because there is a key word, because it connects verse 19 with verse 20. Verse 20 may provide a reason for all of verse 19. Being declared righteous will not be attained by a moral person trying to do some godly actions. And this is a plague that we have going on in America. We got a lot of churchgoers that think going to church will save them. They think by doing godly things, it'll save them. And nowhere in their life do they place faith in the work of Jesus Christ. But they think they're good people. They go to church. Everyone is given revelation either through the Bible or their own conscience. And that revelation is seen in their Actions that come from their heart. Is there any way for a person to correct their sin nature? Wait a minute, I figured it out. I'm going to... There we go, it's out of me. No. That didn't work. There's nothing we can do to defeat our sin nature. Our sin nature has to be justified. Justification is not done by you. It's done by God. No salvation in keeping the law because no one can keep it. Here we go, number four. Look at the middle of the verse. Will be justified in his sight. What evidence will be found that could be used in a heavenly courtroom? Number four. This is wordy too, sorry. Number four. The moral sinner will not have faith in the work of Jesus Christ, therefore will not understand the work of justification. Sorry, let's do it again. The moral sinner will not have faith in the work of Jesus Christ, 
therefore will not understand the work of justification. If you are a person that tries to do things, God, you try to live by the own rule, you do more good things than evil, <clears throat> or you get up in the morning, you sin, and then you go out and do five good things to offset the sin, whatever you do will not justify you because you don't understand justification. You think you have the power to justify yourself. That's the problem with a moral person. He thinks he can justify himself. And you cannot do it. Justification is the work of God the Father. He justifies you. You cannot do it. There are no spinning at the door of the church to make you righteous. Even if you spun four times, it wouldn't do it. Because the works that you try to do will not justify you. Justification, make sure we understand this. This you're going to get probably the next ten Sundays. Justification is the act of God whereby men, people are given the status of being righteous in God's sight. You're given the status by God to be righteous. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians, where we did our scripture reading. Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, there's a verse there that I believe anybody in this room could preach a sermon on. It's an outstanding verse. Verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. If you write in the margins of your Bible, you've got to put a happy face, you've got to put a star, you've got to put a, some kind of note to make sure you understand and see verse 16 and read it every time you get to this page. Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but, but, and you underline this next phrase, through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Woo! Three things I want you to see in this verse. First off, what are three things that happen to you if you experience the grace of God? First, you know that only grace can justify the sinner. Only grace can justify the sinner. The only way you can be justified is by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God you can be justified. You have to be justified by God because, because of your sin nature, you're measuring things wrong. I wanted to get a yardstick, and I wanted to make it 35 inches long. And I wanted you to measure how many yards it is to the back wall. But it would take too long, and you'd mess with me anyway. So, we didn't do it. But if you had a yardstick that was 35 inches long, by the way, a yard is how many inches? 36. 36, thank you. You would be wrong. No matter how many times you measure it, you would be wrong because your measuring device is wrong. If you are a moral person, you are measuring things wrong. You think you can justify yourself, and you're measuring things wrong. You think you can be a good person, you're measuring things wrong. You can't do it because your stick 
is wrong. Second, know that grace is individually applied. I like that. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to do it. That you may be justified. It's you. You, 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 you. Everything you. It takes you to have faith in Christ. So you will be justified. Third, knowing that grace is nullified by legalism. If you have legalism, if you have moralism, if you spend three times when you come into church, there is no grace. If you try to be moral, there is no grace. If you think coming to church and attending church will save you, there is no grace in your life. If you think because you do it every Sunday, that somehow God will be pleased you come to church, that will not save you. That will not justify you. That is being measured by the wrong stick. You cannot do it. That's the whole point of the first three chapters. You cannot save yourself. And it's, what, it's amazing to me how many churches believe you can do things to be saved. And I could name them off. And so could you. And you can know of churches that have certain rules that you have to obey to attend their church. You got to do this, that, the other thing, spend four times around coming through the door. And you will faith in grace in the work of Jesus Christ that you can be justified. You have to apply. You have to repent. You have to have faith. You have to believe. And if you don't, you will nullify grace and live your life without grace, and you'll stand before a judge without grace, and you'll be condemned. Go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What's the evidence that could be found and used in a heavenly courtroom? Number five, number five. The moral sinner will not realize his moral laws will produce in him more punishable disobedience. The moral sinner will not realize that his moral laws will produce in himself more punishable disobedience. In other words, if you come into church and spin around three times, thinking three times will please God, and somehow you'll be justified by you spinning around three times, every time you come into church and you spin around three times, you are being more disobedient, and you will be held accountable before God when you stand before Him. Because you did it by law and not by grace. You did it by works and not by faith. You did it to earn your way to heaven, and you don't. If you think going to church saves you, and you come to church, you are committing another sin of disobedience. 
So every time you come to church and you think it's doing you good, it's doing you bad. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. By applying the rules to our conduct, we show ourselves sinful. The moralist studies the law and should come to the conclusion that there's got to be another way. If you look at the Old Testament, you have to think for a New Testament. You have to think about a solution to the problem. Because it's not found in the Old Testament. Knowledge of sin is the opposite of justification. Instead of justification, you're getting more sin accounted to you. Through the law comes full knowledge of sin. That word knowledge there is different than the first word in verse 19 of knowing. Knowing in verse 19 is oida. It's talking about your head knowledge. The last word, knowledge, epa, knowledge, epigonosco, it's talking about your heart and your actions, and you experience it. You experience and know more sin. If you have rules to obey to please God, you will know more sin. Experience more sin. You will be <laughs> engulfed with sin. And you'll stand before a judge in heaven one day and you will be quiet because you won't be able to say anything. <clears throat> the moral law did not give Israel the means of justification, but it reveals sin. Sin misses the mark set by the law. The law reveals more sin. The sinner realizes, it's, realizes what sin is. 1 Corinthians 15 to 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. By the law, the person trying to do good works will not be justified, but sent to the lake of fire. Sin begins with disobedience of the first person ever created and continues to every person after Adam. All people stand under sin's power and control and under condemnation that results from it. Paul's point of chapters 1, 2, and 3. You're condemned. You need a way out. You need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. You need something to help you. Application. Well, I understand that salvation is by grace alone and not by any moral action. Salvation is by grace alone, not by any moral action. My guess, and I'm an optimist, because I'm guessing, I'm going to guess 85% of the world does not believe that. They believe in doing good things to earn their way to heaven. You be a good person. You do something that you think is good. And they don't understand that salvation is by grace alone, not by works, not by anything you do. Grace. You have to realize that you're a sinner to acknowledge the truth of the gospel message. Because of the sin of a sinner, he needs a Savior who can declare him righteous. There is hope. Hope. And the verses starting next week, We'll talk about righteousness of God, a righteousness that, 
that has nothing to do with our performance and everything to do with God's provision through Jesus Christ and will be without excuse. Here's a story. Two Arabs are talking. One Arab says to the other Arab, Lend me your rope. Lend me your rope. I need your rope. Lend me your rope. The other Arab says, I can't. I need it. I need the rope to tie my camel. I got to tie up my camel. I need the rope. First Arab goes, You don't have a camel. You don't have a camel. Second Arab says, I know that. But when you don't want to lend your rope, one excuse is as good as another. You can come up with all kinds of excuses with God. You can come up with all kinds of excuses when I share the gospel message with you. But if you reject the gospel message... That means you think you can earn your way to heaven by doing something, which is what the majority of the world thinks, which is what seems like majority of the churches think. But all you're doing is committing more sin, more disobedience. Don't make excuses. Make sure your salvation is by grace, and that you've been justified by the works of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to apply your word to our lives so our lives are able to stand under the blood of Jesus Christ and therefore, Father, be justified. Therefore, Father, not be treated like a criminal, but treated like a son. I pray, Father, that you would help us in our relationship with you, in everything that we say and do, that we reflect that we don't do things to be saved, that Jesus Christ did it all. He did it all. Thank you, Father, for the work of Jesus Christ and saving us by your grace. We praise you and thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.